We are we are Ballbusters. Your sports news podcast on Unbenched. Breaking the glass ceiling through sports. Welcome to Ballbusters. It's our first ever episode of this brand new sports news podcast. I am Casey Dobson. I am joined by my three absolutely stunning co-hosts, Christina, Dua, Krina. How are you guys? Well, I'm doing very well after that amazing intro. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. (laughs) We are here. We're hanging out with you. We're going to go over some sports news. We got NFL free agency on tap got some NHL milestones to cover and Karina has all of the NBA tea that we're going to dive into plus in our little overtime segment Christina's going to walk us through some figure skating news which is super exciting before we get into all of that I figured we would do a little get to know you moment with all of our hosts so ladies tell the audience about yourself your favorite sport your favorite team what are you studying why are you excited to be a ball buster okay I will go first I'm Dua. I'm the co-director of hockey at Unbenched. And um, first and foremost, I like to identify as someone who loves to torture themselves because I'm voluntarily a Leafs fan. Um, y'all can't see me, but the girls can see me. And I have a Kasperi cap and a jersey hanging behind me. And while he doesn't play for the Leafs anymore, he has a special place in my heart. I also just paid too much for that jersey to take it down. Um I am a journalism student, I'm in my third year, and I'm an idiot on most days. I always find a way to work being an athlete into a conversation, and uh, yeah, I apologize in advance for that one. I'm one of those ones. (laughs) I love that. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Karina. I'm in my first year of sport media. My favorite sport is probably basketball, and you guys know this, but the Raptors hold a very a special place in my heart where they give me both happiness and pain. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I love them. I love that sport. I love tennis as well. Um, I'm excited to be a ball buster because we need more female perspective and this show is what we need. I'm Christina. Um, I'm in second year journalism and I grew up in and around sports. I was a competitive dancer for a good chunk of my life. I trained in like ballet and jazz, like contemporary and all of that. Um, But I also really, really enjoyed like gymnastics and cheer when I was younger. And I've watched football and basketball on TV for a while because of my dad. And so even though I never like played like the really nationally broadcasted sports, I've like always loved like watching it. And it was something that, I noticed like sports brings communities together and uh, there are really, really important stories to be told in the industry. And so I hope to be telling those stories on Ballbusters and amplifying female voices with these like really powerful, amazing women around me. I love that. That's so much better than mine. I know, right? (laughs) I feel like we have to mention because it'll provide context for a lot of the riffs we're going to get into uh, in this series. Christina's a Bills fan. So by definition, (laughs) we're not supposed to like each other because as many of you will know, I am a Patriots fan and they didn't used to bring me pain because, you know, they had Brady and Belichick and they would just win every other year and life was great. And then last year they sucked and I got bullied on Twitter for it. So here we are, but we're actually going to talk about the Patriots today. So that's a great segue. Thanks guys. Segwaying in to... Our first segment, we've got the NFL. So NFL free agency has been absolutely wild, which, you know, has been great other than the fact that it's caused me to not pay attention in a single class for the last three days because all I want to do is keep updated on everything going on. Starting with my beloved Patriots actually spending money for the first time in my adult life. So they have gotten so much better after being an absolute disaster of a team last year. They've added two tight ends, a linebacker in Matthew Judon, some wideouts with Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, a really underrated player, defensive lineman Henry Anderson, defensive back Jalen Mills, who I'm really excited to see, again, defensive tackle Devin Godshaw, and they've traded back for offensive tackle Trent Brown, which I think is great, especially once we lost Tooney to the Chiefs. So 
Also, just credit to Tooney for signing with the Chiefs because he realized the Patriots aren't going to win another ring anytime soon. And he's like, well, I'm just going to go get one over here. So go you. That's great. Also, can't talk about the Patriots without them having re-signed Cam Newton, which, again, I got bullied on Twitter for. I'm not a fan. I don't like this move. But as Jen Welter pointed out in one of our classes, they obviously see something in him. God, I hope so. I mean, in Bill, we trust, I guess. But at this point, you're giving $14 million to a guy who had, what, like three passing touchdowns last year? Maybe seven, if I'm being generous. So I have my concerns there. But I mean, you know, Bill's going to do his thing. Please don't disappoint me, Bill, and your hoodie. All I'm going to say is Bill's dog never would have signed that contract for Cam. And if you watched the draft last year, you'll know what I'm talking about. If not, just look up Bill Belichick's dog, please. Anyways, so Christina, what are your thoughts on the Patriots getting better and hopefully being able to give the, your bills a run for their money? So I think in general, I don't know if there's much of a point of them spending that much money just because they're just not, they're going to come in second in the East, but it's okay. Um, I think Cam Newton, I think it was a rough year for him last year, especially like, I mean, he, but he caught COVID and then like, just in general, he had no, there's like no time in the league at all to like getting to know players, teammates, coaches, the playbooks, the strategies in general in the off season. And then like just jumping right into it, there was the training camp was super limited. So I feel like he, he had a hard time like adjusting to everything and like fitting in. And then, you know, once he caught the disease, I think he mentioned, I can't remember where, where I read this. He mentioned um, that he felt like 100 times less comfortable after coming back to the game after COVID. And I think that's just a lot to work with. And so I think adding those um, two tight ends, I think he has a really good shot at like a redemption season. And he definitely has something to prove now. Yeah, that I think that's probably going to be the biggest factor is there's such a redemption arc at stake that last year watching him throw the deep ball was just like physically painful and I mean you can blame that on lack of weapons all you want but just his accuracy wasn't there and I really hope that that's you know a result of COVID of Zoom training camps with a new team and I would imagine like the Patriots offensive system isn't exactly like something you can you know pick up in a day just given like Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick. So hopefully with his second year in, they've actually got some guys who can insulate him, namely with those two big name tight ends. So maybe we'll actually see tight ends being used in the passing game for the first time since Gronkowski retired, which would be lovely. I remember the last game last year was the first time a tight end caught a touchdown pass, which was wild. And it just felt like it shouldn't be happening because it was, you know, someone no one had ever heard of. So I'm really excited. Hopefully Nelson Aguilar is in his Raiders state of being able to catch passes because if anyone remembers him when he was on the Eagles, he couldn't even catch a plane. He was god awful. So that should be interesting. Um, okay, enough about the team that causes me pain on a daily basis. Um, quarterback carousel, Tyrod Taylor and his healed lung, hopefully, are headed to Houston. If anyone remembers last year, the LA doctors punctured his lung before a game and caused him to miss the whole season, which ended up working out for LA because they got to see Justin Herbert, who I think we can all confidently say is one of the next generation, definitely LA's franchise quarterback. So Tyrod Taylor used to be with the Buffalo Bills. He's now in Houston, which is interesting to say the least. I think anyone really follows the NFL will know that uh, Houston's quarterback room right now is a mess with Deshaun Watson and everything that he's got going on we can get into that later if he's actually going to be traded if he's actually going to sit out I I really don't know what's going to happen there there's also Andy Dalton who stepped in and saved the Cowboys or quote-unquote saved I don't think anyone can save the Cowboys at this point last season um signed a deal with the Bears I have some questions namely why uh I don't think it's a secret that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace need this season to get them to the playoffs and potentially pass the first round to keep their jobs. I'm shocked they still have their jobs, but again, different story. So I just think with Dalton's track record, he has no playoff success at all. And with the Cowboys, he looked good. He didn't look bad. I just don't think that's a guy that's going to really pull your franchise out of, you know, 
the dumpster fire that that was Chicago. I know they did make the playoffs, but let's be real. They did not deserve to be there. Sticking in the NFC least, uh, we've got Washington bringing in another veteran quarterback. So they recently parted ways with Alex Smith, who won obviously NFL's comeback player of the year after, you know, almost dying and then taking the field with Washington again this season. They brought over Ryan Fitzmagic out of Miami, who... I think Miami's quarterback situation last year was weird. They, Tua was their starter, but Fitzmagic came in and did all like the big plays and actually like, you know, did the grunt of the work. So this leaves Miami in a little bit of a weird situation, but I think it's a good move for Washington. You've got a veteran guy in with a really young team. I think that receiver core has a lot of promise, which showed last year. Um, And I think that's definitely still a franchise that's, trying to find their identity, obviously, because they still have their temporary name. So yeah, Christina, thoughts? I think like there wasn't a huge place for Fitz on the Dolphins, um, especially because of that like weird half and half starter kind of thing. Um, I think Tua is probably pretty happy about the fact that he gets to start all the time now. Um, And like, just the fact that like he is going to be the dependent reliant like QB for the for Miami I think Fitz will have I mean I would hope that he gets to start on Washington did you also hear at Washington um they decided they like their uh dance team is like co-ed now so yeah it's um all genders and non-binaries and stuff Um, so they opened it up yeah I think I think they decided like I heard somewhere that it was um a decision following the like the new name and they just decided why not like take the next step to be more as more progressive which I think is a really good idea I think that's a great uh, move especially out of that franchise who's who's had so many problems um on the gender front which 100 yeah yeah I think it's a long time coming for the dance teams or like just the cheerleaders on for football and for sports in general to start opening it up yeah hopefully that is a trend that will actually you know take hold across the whole NFL um, or at least more than one team in one division and I think that it's just like I'm genuinely surprised because it just seems like a no-brainer type of decision but I guess not Okay, so Christina, tell us about your Bills. What have they been up to? Okay, so the Bills have actually kept quite a few players. They've re-signed Matt Milano um, amongst, like, so, yeah. So they've re-signed, like, a couple defense um, players. And they've acquired wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders. And that was, like, yesterday, I think the news came out. And it's a one-year deal, so it's, like, worth $6 million. And he's replacing John Brown who had a really good season with Buffalo in 2019, but he was injured often um, in 2020 and just didn't play that much and just really really didn't have a huge impact on the Bills season. So they freed him up. They released him and then opened up cap space and welcomed Sanders to the team. I think he'll be really good because now he's like 34 years of age, um, but he's coming off 61 receptions for 726 yards and five touchdowns last year for New Orleans. And on top of that, he was playing with an aging and newly retired Drew Brees, sorry. So, you know, for an older guy, those are like really good numbers. I think now that he's added as well, like the Bills have four starter worthy wideouts, which is huge. He'll be like really good support, I would say, because they've got Stefan Diggs. They have rookie Gabriel Davis, who was amazing um, last season and who could also benefit from Sanders. And then they got Cole Beasley, who is a fan favorite just in general. Um, And I think if they just tighten up their rushing defense and make a few good draft picks, then they have a pretty good shot at going pretty far this season. But what do you think, Casey? (laughs) You can't tell by my face, but like Christina's talking about how they're basically going to win the division. And I'm just like, yes. I know. Let's move on. No, um, I really like what the Bills have been doing. I think the fact that they've been able to retain a lot of that core is obviously really good news. It clearly served them well. Um, I think Josh Allen really should have been in that MVP conversation. It's really hard to argue after the season Aaron Rodgers had last year. Because, you know, you made a really good point. But yeah, I think 
upping that rushing defense is really kind of just the last like piece of the puzzle for the Bills because it is arguably their one weakness. And I mean, you look at the Patriots last year, that was their one strength was their run game. Um, Don't know what that's going to look like this year with literally all of their running backs being free agents, which gives me a great deal of anxiety. But anyways, so yeah, I think that is going to be a really interesting thing to watch, whether they try and address that with the draft, whether they try and do something in free agency or do a trade for. I think that is really kind of the last little thing that uh, Buffalo's got to put in place there. Okay, so you mentioned him before, but Drew Brees recently retired. Thoughts, feelings, comments, ladies. I just want to say that video with his kids when he announced it, like, there's so many things going on there <laughs> that is just so funny. Like one, why was his daughter not wearing a jersey? Like, did she not want one? What? Like, I don't know what was going on there. Um, I don't know. It just felt like I'm like obviously like it's staged and everything. It's just they look so uncomfortable. It was like <laughs> they look so uncomfortable. Like, can you imagine your parents are just like, come on, like, sit down. We're announcing your dad's retirement. Like, this is what you have to say, and then like go up and be like, yay. I don't know. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit, like, I know next to nothing about football. I watch one football game a year and, like, it's the Super Bowl. Um, I'm a bandwagon Eagles fan because that's Kyle Lowry's team. So, like, take that, like, from that what you will. Um, the most I know about anything to do with football is that Aaron Rodgers' brother was on The Bachelorette. Yeah. But, like, coming from a person who knows literally nothing, I know who Drew Brees is. I can assume the guy's getting old. It's time for him to retire. And he had a really good career from what I can tell from the outside. Um, But he's not gone because he'll be at NBC Sports as an analyst now. And this is something I kind of feel iffy about. I have mixed feelings about players becoming analysts because when your favorite player retires or they can't play anymore, you still have interaction with them because you're still seeing them on TV. And fans love that. But as a journalism student, I have to say something about that because as people who are all going into sport media or sport journalism, those are jobs that we might have one day. And so is that taking away space from future sport journalists? What do you guys think? Oh, I definitely think that that is an issue, especially, you know, being a woman who wants to be sitting in one of those chairs one day. It's no secret that like, oh, they have playing experience is the most used thing to keep women out of the press box. Um, and out of the analyst booth. So I think on that front, it's definitely a concern and something that doesn't go unnoticed. I think I have, because I have like both perspectives, obviously, like I have the fan perspective of I love football. And I think Tony Romo, for example, one of the best NFL voices out there. He is so good in the booth and on play-by-plays on color which is really ironic because he was a terrible quarterback. So I think it really depends. The principle of the thing is what I have an issue with, but if there's someone that's going to be really good, then I mean, I get it, especially from a business perspective. You're adding a big name to, to your talent roster, but it's definitely a trend that I would like to see decrease as I make my way towards that realm of things, especially, like I said, because it's literally the position I want to be in. So I have very specific feelings towards it. Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned the business perspective because that makes me think of inside the NBA with Shaq and like Charles Barkley and all that. And like you can't exactly call them good analysts. Like <laughs> I think all. Shaq is good just because he's so funny. Yeah, that's the thing. That's where like the business part of it he's comes in. He's just a comedian. Because, yeah, he's he's just there for entertainment. Um are there people that are more deserving to be there? Like, for example, Candace Parker, every time she comes on there, I feel so bad because she's trying to analyze the games and she's just getting hit with, you know, Shaq. <laughs> um, but yeah, it does It does make me wonder. I, I think they're always going to go from that business perspective and from that entertainment value, but it is concerning. I would say it. It's just the easy way out to hire former athletes, to hire athletes because they're so marketable already. You know, they've got that platform. It's so easy to give them the mic and be like, okay, do your thing. And it's hard because if I was a producer, then that would be like the smartest move. If I was thinking traditionally, I think now like there's a new wave of sport media coming in where people want to include diversity they want to hear new voices and they want fresh 
opinions. And uh, I think that people who are most qualified and most, most deserving of those will be given those like chances um, and those opportunities. I think that's a really good point. The I think now more and more the sport market is ready for new voices. And that's definitely something that's encouraging, you know, as a group of women who are traditionally not the voice that people want to hear, you know, as we get ready to take on these jobs, those careers, I think it's really a really positive thing that there is starting to be a culture shift with our generation becoming kind of that primary consumer. And then I just want to speak on a point Karina mentioned that was pointed out to me on Twitter about the way that Drew Brees has treated slash framed his daughter. So Karina mentioned that she's the only one not wearing a jersey. She's arguably the cutest kid in the video and she has one line. And there are countless other examples of this happening where she is clearly treated as different than her brothers and I can already hear the comment section being like she's a girl girls don't like football she's like five she likes whatever you tell her to like at this point and especially having three older brothers and a dad whose entire life revolved around football don't you think that you know maybe she would want a jersey or maybe she would be into this kind of thing the fact that her dad has been doing that her literally her whole life. So she's literally grown up in football, yet she's treated so differently than the three boys. And because of the fact that she's so young, all the arguments of, oh, girls don't like football, she probably like didn't want to. Yeah, okay. Honestly, if this was a one-off, I'd be like, maybe she just wanted to wear like a cute shirt, but it's not a one-off. There are videos of Drew Brees passing the ball with his boys and she's just standing there like waiting for someone to pass her the ball and they don't and so it's a pattern of behavior that really forces me to question what kind of dynamic is going on there and it's definitely something that I hadn't noticed until someone mentioned it on my timeline but ever since they mentioned it like I kind of went on a little bit of a deep dive but anyways I digress um Dua lead us through hockey we are Canadian after all some NHL action. So first off, Jordan Bennington. He just got re-signed by the Blues. He's a Richmond Hill native. It's a six-year, 36-mil contract. And so he was a huge part of bringing them up from dead last to eventually winning the Cup in 2019. But he was also the first rookie goalie to win all 16 games of a playoff run. If you look at his stats from the, his last two NHL seasons, he's been doing pretty good. He's 39, 19, and 10. Got a save percentage of 0.991 and a goals against average of 2.60. He's been doing really good. As I've said like seven times, he's doing really good. He's a huge cog in their system of success. While this is a good signing and all, I'm not the biggest fan of Bennington. So for context, he came under fire in 2019 for some old tweets about women in burkas and taxi drivers speaking in foreign languages. And while I don't like to rehash old stuff, the entire incident kind of just put me off of him. It's not just the fact that he said any of it because people say dumb things as kids. It was more so the way he responded to it. He dismissed it as sarcasm and jokes and basically gave a Tumblr quote as his response. He said, and I quote, I was a teenager and that's what life's about. You live, you learn, and you grow as a human. So, you know, I'm just here to play a couple hockey games, which is the most NHL player, white NHL player response, if I've ever heard one. I don't know. Maybe I'm just hypersensitive because I'm an immigrant who was bullied for speaking in a different language and wore a hijab most of my life. But I just wasn't about Jordan Bennington after that. Ladies, thoughts? It was like the shut up and dribble thing, but he did it to himself. <laughs> <laughs> That was so good. <laughs> the accuracy of that statement. Oh my God. Yeah. No, I think like, I feel like just in general, and I might be digressing a little, I just think like celebrities, when they use that as an excuse, like, oh, like I was like young back then. I didn't know any better. How many of us at like 16 were just not racist? How many of us knew better than to tweet about it? It's just insane because I think so many celebrities are like, oh, like everybody makes mistakes. But not everybody makes mistakes. I I didn't when I was 16. I wasn't going off tweeting racially insensitive things. 
first of all, I knew it wasn't right. Second of all, I also was smart enough not to broadcast those thoughts to the internet. And so I just think it's funny how like everyone's, oh, like it's not a big deal. It happens to the best of us. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It literally doesn't. So hard. Yeah. Like why is it so hard for all these people to just not have a bad racist past that's the thing it's like it's one thing to be stupid it's another thing to be stupid on the internet that's facts i feel like people dismiss racism from white people as when they were kids and they were white they didn't know any better um of the four of us here casey's the only white one and i can confirm at 16 she was not being racist on twitter affirmative please (laughs) scroll through my old tweets i actually don't know if i still have any of my 2016 tweets up because uh, they were just embarrassing. Um, and I thought but the you world, know what they weren't, they weren't racist. <laughs> I can, I will bet you all the money in the world plus a million dollars that I was not a racist 16 year old. All right. I rest my case. Okay. Moving on. Um, Connor McDavid is the first player of this season to hit 50 points. He's currently at 53 being tailed by dry at 46, Patrick Kane, ew, at 42, uh, Mitch Marner at 39. And just because I'm a Leafs fan and I have to mention him, Austin Matthews, Casey just rolled her eyes at me. Austin Matthews is at 36 right now. These are all players that are projected to have 100 point seasons, but I think that might be a little bit of a stretch because we don't know how this season is going to go. What do y'all think? Who's going to hit 50 next? Who's going to hit 100? What do you think is going to happen? Austin Matthews isn't going to hit 100. There, I said it. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Connor McDavid, maybe. Leon Dreisaitl, potentially. God, I hope Patrick Kane doesn't. Austin Matthews is not going to hit 100 points. He'll probably hit that 50 goal mark, I think, because there was a period where everything he touched went into the net and I wanted to scream. I'm a Canadians fan, by the way, in case that wasn't obvious enough by my statements. Gross. Yeah, I know. It's horrible. Yeah, I I would definitely place my money on McDavid if I had to, even though I'm also a Leafs fan. Yeah, I think he's... He's insane. Like, he's really the golden kid right now. (laughs) He's doing wonders for my fantasy team. He's always just, he's my top pick, which says a lot about my loyalty to the Leafs, but it's fine. So, aside from McJesus, who do we think is going to have the best season? Single player, ladies, picks. Oof. Um, Are we talking, like, purely stats-wise or, like, impact-wise? Stats. Only stats. Well, absolutely no one on the Canadians, I can tell you that much. Honestly, Ovechkin right now seems possessed, which annoys me because I don't like him. I don't, I've never liked Ovechkin. It's just one of those sports opinions I have that like, I can't really defend because I don't really have a reason, but at this point he just looks like he's gonna put his head down and go straight to history. I'm a big fan of Mitch Marner. I think he's pretty solid and he's consistent as a player. And I think he... Even if he's not scoring all all the time, he's always assisting or he's always helping out and supporting the rest of his team. Absolutely. Mitch Marner is a beauty. We love Mitch Marner. Austin Matthews, probably not as much. Casey was talking about those hockey opinions that you just can't explain and she mentioned Ovi. I have one of those too, and Casey won't like it. I despise, with a burning passion, I despise Brendan Gallagher. I cannot stand his face. It just pisses me off. You're fired. Okay, that's all for me now. I'll be going. I was wondering how long we could go being (laughs) civil. (laughs) We have four people on a sports news show. We were not getting through the episode without a fight. Um, (laughs) You would like Brendan Gallagher if he was a Leaf, and that's all I'm going to say on that. So Casey touched on it a little bit earlier. But Ovi passed Phil Esposito and has sole possession of the six most goals of all time. Um, I think that's really exciting. Obviously, Ovi's a vet and a huge name in the NHL. He ha- He's had a pretty momentous career so far, and I think this is just adding to the list of accomplishments. Um, Casey, I know you're not a huge Ovi fan. Personally, I'm not either. But how much longer do you guys think he's going to go? I don't know. I've never even thought of like him retiring. So I really don't think it's like anywhere 
close. And I mean, it's not like his production is dropping off. So I could see it like at least bare minimum, like five or eight more years. Yeah, I agree. He's 35, which isn't crazy old. I think he might go for like five more years and then be done with it. So moving on, we have a little bit of breaking news. So we're recording this on Wednesday morning. It was breaking news for me this morning, but it was apparently happened really late last night, which was Tuesday night. Ralph Kruger was fired. This isn't the first firing we've seen from the Sabres this season. I think they are, as Sportsnet put it, a revolving door of coaching and general manager changes. Thoughts? No, like Kruger had to go. That team hasn't done anything. So I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm a little surprised it took this long. But I really think something's got to give in Buffalo. I don't know if that's like training Eichel, but at this point, like, I don't even know what his value would be just because playing there kind of plummets you into the ground. It was, it was a good move. It was a move that had to be made. It's a question of where do they go from here? And I don't see it being up, but I mean, hey, I'm open to being surprised. I love Jack Eichel with all of my heart. But yeah, Casey's right. His value is really plummeted into the ground, down to the center of the earth after playing in Buffalo for as long as he has. I don't even know what he would do or where he would go or what, where he would kind of just fit in. I don't see him playing anywhere except for Buffalo. I just don't know where he would fit in because he's played for such a terrible franchise for all of his NHL career. So coming into a little dimmer news, Timur Feistadinov, I'm sorry if I said that wrong, I simply cannot. An MHL player for Saint, the St. Saint Petersburg Dynamos took a puck to the head during a game on March 12th and he passed away. He was 19 years old. As someone who's played hockey for most of my life, and I have a plethora of concussions, this really hit home for me. He was my age, I'm 19. And it's just so sad to see. And I think it speaks to a larger conversation about how dangerous the sport can really be and how to improve player safety. And with that, let's wrap up NHL and off to NBA with Krina. I'm going to start with a Raptors update because we're all Raptors fans here. The biggest thing surrounding the Raptors recently has been their COVID struggles. And I think I saw something like in the NBA in general, it was like a hundred players out of the 500 so far have had to sit out due to like positive testing or contact tracing. If you've been keeping up with the COVID struggles in the NBA season, then you definitely heard that the Raptors have been hit bad recently. Um, it started with six members of the Raptors coaching staff out due to health and safety protocols, because I think one of the coaching staff tested positive and then it quickly developed into another dramatic case of the NBA's shaky protocols. I think Pascal Siakam was one of the first players that um, had to sit out and then that turned into OG Anunoby, Fred, Fred Van Vliet, Malachi Flynn, and Patrick McCaw. They were all among the chunk of players that were forced to isolate due to contact tracing. And we actually found out that Fred Van Vliet was one of the players that tested positive, but the Raptors announced that Siakam, Van Vliet, Flynn, and McCaw were all cleared to practice before the Detroit game, which is supposed to be tonight, Wednesday night. So hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, they uh, come up with a win because they haven't won a game since that first night when Sergio stepped in to coach against the Rockets. Um, but yeah, what, what are you guys' thoughts on their struggles when we have like our core pieces kind of out? Do you think that says a lot about our depths or are you worried? What are your thoughts? I mean, I think like it being COVID, it's so hard to critique this team just because they haven't really been given a shot. And something I don't think people talk about often enough is they're away from home for this whole time. And I've spoken to athletes firsthand about leaving home for extended periods of time. And it wasn't this long. It was for like the MLS's back cup. That's hard on them. Like, especially the guys that have kiddos at home that have wives, girlfriends, that mental aspect takes such a toll. And I can only imagine seeing, you know, the fact that it's one in five guys get COVID, how that plays on you mentally about like, what are we doing? They're, of course, they're all there to play about, like they're professionals, it's their job. But I think it's really easy to forget the human aspect of this and how being away from their families, essentially isolated in, yeah, sure, it's Florida, but also Florida isn't great at handling the pandemic. So that plays a role. I feel for the team and I would caution anyone too hard against like judging them just because at this point, everything that could go against them has essentially gone against them. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. Um, 
this season is very odd anyway. And unless you're one of the top teams like the Nets or the Lakers or whatever, like I don't really think you have much much of a shot. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's hard because they're literally they're playing with more than half their starters out. We've seen like a bunch of players sort of step up to the plate or like just shown that they are multidimensional um, in terms of the game and their skill. This team is bare bones on the floor right now. It's just a lot. Like Casey said, I think you have to have empathy for that and just recognize that it's really, really hard for these athletes this season. And so just not judge them too harshly because of that. Yeah, you, you mentioned them like being alone. And that's so true because yesterday, uh, Fred Van Vliet spoke to the media and he said after he came out of isolation, like when he was cleared, he's like, I've been hugging more people than I've ever hugged in my life. Um, and that statement alone just kind of tells you like, wow, like the isolation and like the mental toll that it does take on them. And then to your point earlier about other players stepping up, like I'm thinking of Norman Powell, who's been putting up like great numbers and he's the, the offensive, uh, I don't know, drive that the Raptors need sometimes. And on the, on the other side, the defense, you notice like out of all the games they've lost, I don't know, like five games in a row, I think it is now. But one of them, the one against Atlanta, that was the one where they lost by one point by a Tony Snell uh, buzzer beater pain. Anyway, <laughs> um, but in that one, that was the closest one. And you could tell because their defense had really like tightened up. And and you can tell like when we were missing like fan fleet, we're missing OG. I think OG has been one of our biggest losses on defense and you you really, really notice it because there's always some random player on the other team that we're playing that just goes off against us. They'll be averaging like three points, but they play against the Raptors and they already have nine points in the first quarter. Um, so I think getting some of these players back and like tightening up our defense again is going to help. And I think that everyone just needs to take like a deep breath because I've been seeing a lot of like our whole fan base, just like overreacting with every game and every news that comes out. And it doesn't help that the trade, the trade deadline is like quickly approaching. But I just need everyone to just take a step back, relax. I miss the Raptors, man. I miss the old Kanye. I miss the 2019 Toronto Raptors. But hopefully the Raptors will now see better days that the lineup is coming back. But it's been a bad season for them so far. I like keep trying to explain to my dad what a tank season is because that's what's happening he just doesn't understand and every time he turns on the tv he gets really mad because he sees the raptors losing and i'm like dude they're they're gonna get the they're gonna try to get the number one like draft pick he's like so who is it gonna be Kawhi? and i was like that's not how it works man oh my god that's so funny i love that (laughs) yeah i'm not one for tanking but it seems like we don't even have to do it on purpose with the lineup of games that we have, which is like a really, really sad statement. But, you know, like this is the season to be bad. Being away from home, getting like severely impacted by COVID. It's having other teams, like super teams being good. You might as well just, and also like the lack of depth, like even with the players that we have, like the lack of, the lack of depth has been like really obvious this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of moves Masai and Bobby make at the deadline or even in the off season. And that's a good segue into the trade deadline and some of the big names outside of the Raptors. One of the biggest names to move somewhere this season has been Blake Griffin. He expressed desire to play somewhere else and he was able to clear free agency waivers and sign a minimum deal with the Brooklyn Nets. Everyone's just going there. Um, These minimum deals are the reason why the Nets can afford to keep taking in players. He has yet to play in a game and there's a lot of questions surrounding his ability to perform. Like he's been impacted by injuries and he hasn't been at his best. I think he hasn't dunked this season or I don't know, it was something around that. The Nets have been one of the more interesting teams in terms of narratives and signings. So this is like another interesting signing. I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts about Blake Griffin on the Nets and if he can perform to how he used to be? Every time you say the Nets are one of the best teams in the NBA, I want to gag a little like (laughs) that has to be a lie right like this is the same nets that were like like dead last at some point two years ago it doesn't make sense to me I'm still not used to it but in my head the Raptors are still the number one seed so like I digress 
You um, literally swept them last playoffs. I know, in the right? First round. <laughs> it's insane to me. Um, Blake Griffin on the Nets. It's just like in my head, as terrible as it is, as a sport like journalism student, I shouldn't think like this, but I do. In my head, I'm literally just like, okay, great, another player on the Nets. Anyways, what's next? That's literally my thoughts on it is like head empty. Let's uh, move on to players that have also reached an agreement with their respective teams to, to move on, but they don't have a new team just yet. And these three players are Andre Drummond and Lamarcus Aldridge. Um, so all of them have agreed to part ways with their team, but they have yet to find a deal. There are some teams that could benefit. Um, I think the Celtics and the Miami Heat have been like involved in a bunch of rumors with um, several of them. I played around with the trade machine last night, so... They're random. They're not. Like, I did this late at night. I'll go through them. You guys tell me, would you do it? Which team would benefit? Which team would not? Et cetera, et cetera. So for the first one, I took LaMarcus Aldridge, and I traded him to the Celtics. And in return, the Spurs would get Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice, Langford, and Aaron Neesmith. Spurs would be getting some, like, young talent, but go. Yes. Absolutely not. <laughs> no way. Absolutely. No, no, I no. I would not make that trade. I'm not a GM, but there is no way LaMarcus Aldridge is worth that many players, that much young talent. I know he's a huge player. I know he is. I know he's good, but that much young talent. No. Yeah. I think that that benefits the Spurs more than it benefits the Celtics, but, uh, we aren't Celtics fans over here. So, um, <laughs> um, and next one, this one, next one is interesting because I saw Aaron Gordon's name being thrown around and I saw that the Pelicans were interested in him, which was interesting. So I, I played around with the trade machine a little bit and for Aaron Gordon to go to the Pelicans, the magic would get JJ Reddick, Josh Hart, and Canadian Alexander Walker, who has been really, really good. Would you guys do this trade? Absolutely not. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say that again. <laughs> um, maybe, honestly. I feel like a move with JJ Redick might be smart. Um, and I think that's a fair trade that benefits both teams. Yeah. And like the reason why I chose Aaron Gordon is because like on the Magic need to make a move. Um, I think they're just... They can't be like mediocre for the next like five years or whatever. They have to do something at some point. And I know like they've been hanging on to Vucevic, which is arguably one of the best centers in the NBA. So I don't know how willing they would be to trade him. I don't think they are. So Aaron Gordon being a name that could possibly be moved around. This is why I used him instead. Is Andre Drummond still on the table for like, the Raptors at all? Because I know, I think he would be really beneficial. I know we've been looking for a good center besides Boucher. Here's the thing with Andre Drummond. Um, his impact is not as good as people think. Um, he's like, he's there for like offensive and yes, like he grabs the rebounds. But I think with the Raptors, um, Nick Nurse has like that defensive identity and Andre Drummond being out there would just would would be a big body but like not really doing anything so like if you think about like Aaron Baines I mean if we could somehow maybe swap those but I think he's he's too expensive and I don't think he would be a good fit on the Raptors he'll be a good fit somewhere but I don't just don't think he's good enough for the Raptors I don't think that the Raptors should give up pieces or anything to in order to get him because it's just like to me it's just not worth it yeah that's very fair so I was also playing around with the trade machine and I was going to do a Sixers trade, but that's a very sensitive topic because of, you know, Kyle Lowry. So the game's going to end here. I'm not going to continue on with that. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. All right. So that wraps up the NBA update, covered the Raptors, covered COVID, covered trade deadlines. It's all going to be picking up till the 25th of March. So it's going to get really crazy. So the World Championships um, are being held next week in Stockholm, Sweden. And it goes from the 22nd, so Monday, to the 28th. 
And if you follow figure skating at all on Twitter, like just in general with the community, then you know that this year there's a lot of mixed feelings about these worlds. So on one hand, Team Canada hasn't competed like as a whole in over a year. There's sort of like excitement about it, but there's also like a lot of apprehensiveness because these, this is like one of the qualifying competitions for the Olympics. And so a lot of these skaters need this competition in order to like go further in their careers. And so it's exciting because we'll be seeing like Keegan Massing, who will be leading Team Canada. And he was the only Canadian figure skater to compete in the Grand Prix circuit this season. And he won bronze at like Skate America in Las Vegas. He's he's good. So I'm excited to see him. And I'm also really, really excited to see this pair, Kristen. Kirsten, sorry, Kirsten Moore Towers and Michael Marinero. And they are Grand Prix silver medalists last year. It's exciting to be able to say that like Canada's finally competing uh, as a whole um, for the first time in a really long time. It's also really, really dangerous at this point. Europe has, has encountered a lot of new third waves. And um, people are saying that this competition, like the world's could be a potential super spreader for COVID-19. It's really, really dangerous for these skaters to be going out flying internationally. It's an international competition. And the ISU is not doing a good job at ensuring that COVID-19 safety and health protocols are being taken um, next week in order to keep athletes safe and healthy. And this is what everybody's upset about right now in the community, because if you look at like the ISU's um, five reports that they have on like how and their plan to keep like these athletes safe, it's kind of almost laughable. They're like security measures. Athletes will only be tested before departure from their country to Sweden and then upon arrival into Sweden. And then that's that. Then they're there. Um, there's no quarantine period once they get there. And if athletes wanted to quarantine and arrive early so that they could take those extra um, precautions, they have to pay for it themselves. So the ISC doesn't cover any of that. They're like, okay, yeah, like if you want to be safe, then uh, that's on you. Yeah, exactly. Also, um, the athletes and staff are being flied commercially on public flights. So there's oh really like no exactly way. yeah the fact that like, this is an audio only medium means you can't see any of our faces <laughs> but christina's saying all this and we look like we've just seen like the other side of an apoc that's insane right it's like it's twisted like it's just not it's clearly unethical and so the skating community is very very upset about it and they started this petition and this like trending hashtag um no quarantine no world which is like, if you go search it up on Twitter right now, there's a bunch of um, very, very valid arguments. And the ISC's argument is kind of like saying, because they hosted a competition for speed skating earlier, and they said like that was like managed within a bubble, but this is not this nearly, like even remotely the same bubble as the speed skating. Is and there a particular at reason all? why? No. Is this a bubble at all, or is it just like... It's not really a bubble. Like they're calling it a bubble, but it's not really a bubble because nobody's quarantining. They're flying from like all different places on public flights uh, together. And they also made the figure skaters sign um, like a thing that kind of just says the ISU is not responsible for anything that happens. If you get sick, Excuse the me? ISU, yeah. So these skaters have to sign this thing that, that just that basically says like they're if they get COVID damage or whatever, um, it's like on the skaters themselves. It's their responsibility and it was like their fault almost. But the fact that like this is such a qualifying, this is like a huge event for qualifying for the Olympics and the ISU has made that clear. So these skaters, like some of them just can't afford to not go because this is like their career. Like obviously they're gonna like, go so that they can like get to the Olympics and qualify and move further. And, and, a, and like while a few really, really big like skaters have decided to withdraw from the competition, that's because they can afford to. 
a lot of the other skaters don't have that luxury, which is what a lot of people are upset about. And like a bunch of, I'd say like a, maybe a handful, maybe more of like um, really big name skaters have like actually come out and said that while they're very grateful to have the opportunity to be skating and stuff again, um, they're hesitant to go and they're nervous and not, and that's not about like their the skating at all. It's about their health and safety that they feel like the ISU has put on the back burner. But what do you guys think of that? And I know like, it's like a huge thing too. Like I know NBA All-Stars happens like not too long ago. And Karina's a lot of the on that. Like that. Oh exactly. <laughs> so what do you guys think? Like, I feel like this is I, a bigger thing than just skating too. That's ins- the fact that this isn't being talked about is insane like especially because it's international like it isn't even a domestic thing it's an international competition like that that's insane to me I think for me it's the public flights that like that is what's really messed up yeah like you can't you can't even call it a bubble if you're making them fly commercial like that's just out of the question I'm not surprised disappointed not surprised the ISU has a history of kind of being not amazing from them covering up like sexual assault cases to what they're doing now ethically none of this is okay you cannot be a decent human being and endanger so many people like this because not only are you having athletes come in from a bunch of different countries into one city and not have them quarantine, that is A, spreading COVID. B, it's in the city where there is people who live there. Okay, that's endangering those people, you know? And so then that all happens. And then they do the competition, go back home. And oh my God, it's almost as if we're in a panoramic right now and they take the disease back with them. And you can't even argue this like, from a I'm money not... perspective because if you have big names pulling out and you have teams pulling out, like that's not going to be good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not good like publicity wise either. I mean, I guess it's, I mean, it's not getting as much media coverage as it should be, but like everybody who like loves skating and who is in this community I, d- I think it's like very fair to say that this is a little bit dicey as an organized skating event. And what? yeah, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit, a lot. <laughs> it's not a good look for sure for anybody. Um, I think that these other, like a lot of these athletes, again, like they just don't see that it's a choice. And the ISU has made it that way so that they kind of like have to put on a show next week me and my homies all hate the isu on that note of incredible covid frustration um and well thank you christina for educating all of us because i think i can safely say that we were not as aware of that situation as we potentially should have been so that brings us to the end of our first ever episode of Ballbusters. thank you guys so much for hanging out with us Um, We will be back doing this every week. So make sure you check back in every Saturday on the Unbench Podcast Network to keep up to date with us and the sports world. Kibbings, bye. 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 Bye.